0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you of the challenge that I gave to consider memorizing Romans chapter 8. One of the verses in Romans chapter 8 is very appropriate for this uh, sermon. I haven't gotten all the way to verse 32, but I know verse 32 because it's just so precious there are certain passages in the Bible that you don't have to try to memorize. You don't have to sit down and say, okay, let me memorize this. And no, there's just some you hear and you're like, that is amazing. And I'm never going to forget that. (laughs) Romans 8.32 is one like that. Uh, uh, He who did not give up, he 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 who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with us with Him graciously give us all things. He who did not spare His own Son. We see in this this parable, the Father gives up the Son. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him graciously give us all things? Beloved, do you realize all things are yours? Everything's yours. There's no reason for us to not be content. God's Word says everything is yours. Whether life or death, or things present or things to come, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, John Piper, Jonathan Edwards, your favorite teachers, they're all mine. They're all mine. They're all yours in Christ. There's no reason to be discontent. This is the good news we have in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, soon and very soon, we're going to see the Lord. And it's going to be amazing. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Hear another parable. These are the words of our King. And he speaks with the same authority as if he were standing here today speaking. Hear another parable. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? to those tenants. They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, They feared the crowds because they held Him to be a prophet. Father, we ask that You would pour out Your Spirit upon us. You are the Father of mercies. And we pray, Lord, that this morning You would have mercy on us, that You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that You have to say to us. In this passage of Scripture, we pray, Holy Spirit, You would apply this to our lives and write its truths upon our hearts. We pray that the thoughts of our hearts and minds and meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. And we ask it in Jesus' name, the name above all names, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of sons and the Stone of stones. Father, let us see Jesus. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The last time we were in Matthew's gospel a few weeks ago, Jesus told a parable that contrasted the religious leader's rejection of John the Baptist's and therefore his, Jesus' authority, with the submission to John and Jesus' authority by some very non-religious, scandalous people. So these religious leaders were not submitting to John and Jesus, and yet these tax collectors and prostitutes were submitting to John and Jesus. And we saw that Jesus hates hypocrisy. He, he, he hates Uh, saying one thing and doing another, or acting one way, but in your real life, living another way. And He delights in repentance. He delights in changing our minds to turn away from godlessness and sin and evil and turn to Him. He delights in faith. He delights in obedience to all the will of God. We thought about the truth that talk is cheap, that performance is more important than promise, that trust is more important than talk. And the takeaway, the cash value takeaway from that sermon was, you should submit to Jesus' authority, change your mind, and trust and obey Him in order to enter the kingdom of God. This week, Jesus tells another parable that shows the measureless, seemingly reckless love and mercy of God. And it shines, this parable shines the light of conviction and condemnation on the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day for rejecting the prophets God had sent to them over and over again and ultimately rejecting Jesus Himself, the Son of God. Beloved, may we see today that sin is the rejection of God. There there have been great rejections of God we see in the Bible. The first great rejection was Adam and Eve. They reject God and His authority. Has God really said? And they go the way of the the devil and, and reject God's authority. God gives a law. He gives a law to His people. And on the wedding night of God marrying His people, giving them a covenant, they commit adultery and worship a golden calf. And reject God. And the whole history of Israel. I tell some of my Presbyterian friends who are all about circumcision equaling baptism. I tell them most of the Israelites who were circumcised in the Old Testament are in hell right now. We need something better. New covenant baptism. In the Spirit of God. The whole history of the people of Israel is the history of rejecting God. And rejecting His prophets. And then Jesus comes, the true Israel, the true Israelite. And what happens to him? He's rejected. He's rejected. There are all these great rejections and, and sin is the heart of, of rejection of God. John Piper writes, every time we sin, we say God is not the supreme treasure to be desired above all else. And we reject God. Every time we sin, we reject God for what we perceive to be a greater treasure and pleasure. Sin. But beloved, we have great hope. We see great hope in this parable. We we see a kind of reckless, amazing grace and mercy. I wonder if you've ever felt that as you read this parable. (laughs) That this is reckless. Reckless. Reckless love. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on Luke 15 once called the prodigal love for the prodigal son. That basically means reckless love for the reckless son. Prodigal means extravagant, lavish, profuse, wasteful, spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Oh, beloved, don't miss this. God has a kind of reckless, amazing, glorious, prodigal love for you so that when your sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. The cash value takeaway take away from this sermon, which I'll repeat over and over again throughout the sermon, is God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure, but you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure, but you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. Point number one, the parable of the wicked tenants. Let's look again at the parable itself in verses 33 uh, thirty-three through 40. Here, another parable. And this this is where when I read this, I'm like, this is reckless. No, don't do this. Finally, he sent his son to them. No, don't send your son. Saying they will respect my son. No, they won't. What are you thinking? Praise God, he's not like me. Praise God, he's not like me. David knew that. Let me not fall to the hands of man, for with the man there is no mercy. Let me fall to the hands of God, where there is mercy. And sure enough, as the angel of the Lord raised his sword over Jerusalem, God said, enough! Mercy! 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 It is enough! Stop the killing! That, that's what happens to me when I read... This this parable, as I've been reading it for the last several years, as we read through the Bible in a year, he says, They will respect my son. Verse 37, But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Parables, a basic definition that's been given over and over again by preachers, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so the characters in this parable represent something of a heavenly meaning that Jesus is trying to get across to His hearers. The master of the house who plants the vineyard represents God. The vineyard represents the kingdom of God. And I like how Graham Goldsworthy defines that, God's people under God's rule in God's place. And there's a great focus of of it being on the, the, the people of Israel in this parable. Because in the Old Covenant, they were God's people under God's rule in God's place, though they often rejected God's rule and got kicked out of God's place because of their sin. The tenets... Those who were to protect and cultivate the vineyard are the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin. The fruit is righteousness, obedience to the will of God. The servants sent by the Master to get His fruit are the prophets that God sent over and over again to speak His Word and warn His people to repent. And the Son of the Master is Jesus Christ. Beloved, notice that God gave His people all they needed and expected fruit. Did you see that? He planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it to protect it. He dug a wine press in it so that the fruit could be pressed and processed. He built a tower for protection and He leased it to tenants and He went away. He, he put people in charge of the vineyard to cultivate and keep it and to guard it and to watch over it and to bear fruit. He gave them everything they needed for life and godliness. Amen. And He expected fruit. He expected them to bear fruit in righteousness and obedience to His will and word and ways. Beloved, God speaks of this in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to read Isaiah 5 verses 1 and 2 and verse 7 where we see that Israel is a kind of vineyard unto God. Isaiah 5, 1 and 2 and 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he took for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. God planted this vineyard. God provided everything needed to bear fruit. And he leased this out to tenants that they would take care of it and produce fruit, but what did they do? These tenants show themselves to be wicked and rebellious. Look at verse verses 34 through 36. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. This is his vineyard.) <laughs> There's fruit that belongs to him and he sends his servants to get this fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Beloved, this is a picture of what the people of Israel did to God's prophets, over and over and over again. John MacArthur writes: "Tradition tells us, and it comes from Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trypho, that they took Isaiah and with a wooden saw they sawed him in half." It may be what Hebrews eleven thirty seven is referring to when it talks about the men of faith being sawn asunder. They took Jeremiah and threw him into a pit. And tradition says, ultimately, he was stoned. They rejected Ezekiel. Amos had to run for his life. Zechariah was rejected and stoned. Micah was smashed in the face, 1 Kings 22-24 says, by the people who would not hear the message that he gave. And this is the norm. This is how they treated the prophets, the kings, the high priests, and the leaders of the people, the religious people. This is how they treated God's prophets. Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26 and 12, 10 through 11 says, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant Portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. And beloved, we see in Matthew 23, Jesus warns the leaders that they're doing exactly what Israel did to the prophets. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes Some of them you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Jesus tells these religious leaders they're going to keep doing what they've always done. Killing, rejecting God's truth and all that blood from Abel to Zechariah will be on their head and hands. This is what Jesus is pointing out in this parable. But beloved, we, we need to know that this is not a parable just about Israel. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to realize that this is also applicable to you. Because like Israel, like Adam, like the people in the New Testament who rejected Jesus the Messiah, what do sinners do? Sinners reject God. And friend, if you're here this morning as an unbeliever, we're glad that you're here because you need to hear this message that you are a sinner, that you have rebelled against God. That you have broken God's commandments. That God has shown you in various ways mercy after mercy after mercy and you have turned away from Him and rejected Him. And if you could, you would kill Him. That you might have your own way. That's what sin does. Sin is God murder. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because God is a good and righteous and holy God, He will punish sinners. He will punish those as we'll see later in this parable in Jesus' words. He will punish all sinners in hell forever where the fire is not quenched. I was at a prayer meeting last night at a family's house and they had a they had a fireplace and they had a wood put in the fire and the coals were red hot and and I saw that fire and I felt the comfort and it felt good but I was thinking that's a picture of hell. Being in a fireplace where the coals are red hot and you burn forever, but you never die. That's how Jesus, the lover of all lovers, described hell. And He warns us of that. And praise God, God loves sinners so much that He did something to save us from hell. He sent His Son He sent His Son. We we hear about the Son being sent in this parable. He sent His Son to to live a perfect life, to perfectly tend the vineyard, Mm -hmm. to never sin, to always obey, to always submit to the Father, to always bring the Father perfect fruit in righteousness and holiness. And He came teaching and preaching and living and loving like no man ever did. And then he died on that cross where he suffered the wrath and curse and judgment of God. I was at Broad and Alney Thursday and gave one of our tracks out. And on the track, it's very clear that God punished his son on the cross. And this woman said, God didn't punish his son. Oh, yes, he did. If you lose that, you lose the heart of the gospel. God the Father, it says in Isaiah 53, crushed his son. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. God unsheathed his sword of wrath and crushed his son and sent his son to hell, in a sense, by bearing the wrath of God. Jesus died, took the curse that we deserve, and was buried. And on the third day, On the third day, Buddha stayed dead, right? Muhammad, he stayed dead. Confucius stayed dead. All the kings of Old Testament Israel, they died and stayed dead. But this king, he's a different king. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and hell and he ascended into heaven with all authority in heaven and on earth and rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's calling all people everywhere to turn from sin, to turn from your rejection of God, to turn from sexual immorality, to turn from lying and cheating and stealing to turn from divorce, to turn from pornography, to turn from homosexuality, to turn from laziness, to turn from gluttony, to turn from lack of self-control, to turn from sin, to turn from rebellion, to turn from cursing and swearing, to turn from all sin in thought, word, deed, and feeling and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you do that today, The Bible says you shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His His beloved Son, His only begotten Son, so that all who believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is not something you, as, as Michael so clearly preached last week, you can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can't keep the law enough. You can't be good enough to get this. You can't read the Bible enough, pray enough, memorize enough Scripture. You can't be the best missionary, the best pastor, the best mom, dad, the best whatever. You can't do anything enough to be justified before God. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him and He will save you. He will justify you. All of your sins, past, present, and future, will be forgiven. You'll be adopted into God's family. Christ will dwell in you. His Spirit will be in you to empower you to obey. Friend, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And if you've not believed on Jesus, we want you to believe. How many of you in this room have believed the gospel? Raise your hand, please. If you've not believed the gospel, look around and see people's hands raised. You can talk to those people after the service and ask them how to know Christ. We want you to know Him. We want you to believe on Him. And friend, the gospel tells us that God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure. And we see that in this parable. After these wicked tenants took His servants and beat one... Killed another and stoned another, the master sins more. How many of you, <laughs> if you left your house in charge of someone and went on vacation and, 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 and you needed something from the house, so you sent someone back to get what you needed and they killed them, what would you do? I, I want you to feel the recklessness of this. The reckless love and mercy of God. You need to see this in the Bible. I didn't write this. Amen. Who, how many of you would do that? Oh yeah, I'll just send somebody else. They, they killed them. I, I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to do this. I'll just send somebody else. Just send somebody else. God's like that. God's mercy. You're not like that. I'm not like that. God's mercy is like that. God's love is like that. After they do that, He, he sends more. <laughs> he, he sends more to go. And, and, and this is amazing, might I say even reckless, love and mercy. And then the tenants do the same to those servants. They beat and kill and stone them. Now surely, surely after the second time, Surely, after the second time, the master is going to come and totally destroy these tenants, right? What would you do? But no. And every time I read this, I'm like, No, God, no! Wake up! You, 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 you. Are, are are you in your right mind? What does he do? What does he do? After they beat and kill and stone a second group, surely the master would judge. But no, the master sends his one and only son. And when I read this, I'm thinking, no, don't do it. They're going to kill him. Verse 37, finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Beloved, this seems like even more reckless love and mercy. Do you see that? Do you feel that? Would you do that? Would you send your son, parents, would you send your son... After these people killed two sets? I don't know how many people they've killed. They they, they killed one set and then He sent even more and they killed them all. Would you send your son? Your one and only son whom you love? You're not God. Praise God, we're not God. He sends His Son. What love. What relentless, measureless love and mercy. God, you're really going to send your Son into this madness? Yes. One commentator, Hendrickson, writes, it is a parable depicting sin, most unreasonable, and love, incomprehensible. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of God here. Beloved, do you feel that? This is who our God is. Are you here this morning a sinner? Are you here this morning thinking God could never love me? If you knew what I've done, if you knew my faults? if you knew how many times I've sinned, God cannot be merciful to me. Yes, He can. Do you see that? That's in this parable. Over and over again we see the character, the love, the mercy, the relentless love of God here. This is love, incomprehensible. This is who our God is. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has a mercy heart. That's one of the names I've given God, mercy heart. He's mercy heart. Ezekiel 33.11 As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from His way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Second Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. First Timothy 1:2 grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Second John 1:2 grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Luke 6:36 be merciful even as your father is merciful. And of course, beloved, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not freely, graciously give us all things? All things are yours because of God's mercy. This is the character of God. I was listening to a sermon this week uh, by Paul Washer on the Song of Solomon and he was speaking about how God relates to us when we sin. That sometimes when we sin, we, we believe God doesn't want to be around us, that God is sick of us, that, that God is condemning us, that, that, that God is in some way punishing us with, with wrathful punishment. Not disciplinary punishment, but with wrathful punishment. And, and He says, no. No, that's not how God views you when you sin. He continues to chase you down. He wants you. He wants you. I was at a very low point in my life at one, one one point, and I remember going to see this man who encouraged me a lot, and he he I remember he saying to, to me, Joseph, God is head over heels in love with you. God is head over heels in love with you. That's how God views us. And, and Washer was preaching on Song of Solomon 2:10. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. When you sin, God is saying, come away with me. Come back to me, my loved one. Come back to me. I'm patient with you. I'm patient with you. I'm merciful. Uh, uh, Come away and be with me again. Beloved, God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure, but you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. Beloved, see here the tenants totally reject God's great mercy. Don't be like them. (laughs) <laughs> See here, the tenants totally reject God's great mercy. Verses 38-40, through 40. But when the tenants saw the Son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And therefore the owner of the vineyard comes. What will he do to those tenants? Beloved, notice what these tenants do. They, they presume upon the Master's love, mercy, and patience. They don't think He will ever punish them. Hey, we killed the first group. He didn't do anything. We killed the second group. There's even more of them. We stoned and killed and beat them too. He hasn't done anything. He's not going to do anything. That's how some people think, oh, where's God? God said He's come back. He's not come back yet. He's not doing anything. He's not bringing justice in the world. No, they don't think God will ever punish. They don't think the Master will ever punish them. They may think that the Master of the vineyard is dead. Ligon Duncan and some other commentators postulate this, that that they must think that the Master's dead, since He's not uh, punishing us. He must be dead and, and He's sending His Son. The only reason the Son would come now... like They could never imagine God would be that merciful. The only reason... He would send His Son. He's not that reckless. He's not that merciful. He's not that loving. The only way He would send His Son is if He's dead. And so if we kill the Son, we get it all. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're selfish. They're greedy. They want what does not belong to them. And they kill to get it. And Jesus asked His hearers, What will the owner of the vineyard do to these wicked tenants when he comes? And the Jewish leaders, point number two, the Jewish leaders cry for justice. They cry for justice here. Look at verse 42. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Beloved, notice this, that these leaders know what these tenants did was wretched. <laughs> they, they, they see a lot here. This can be frightening. They see a lot, they get a lot, and they still reject it. They, they, they call what these people did wretches. Who they are, are, wretches. These are wretches. Wretched means despicable, hateful, vile, and contemptible, extremely or deplorably bad. And, and these uh, uh, Jewish religious leaders, they realize these tenants are wretched people. They are like the people of Revelation 3, 16-17. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Notice these tenants or excuse me, these religious leaders also know what the tenants deserve. They say these wretches should be punished with a miserable death. They want justice here. Young's little translation, and it, 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 it's really cool to see this in the original language, they're evil men he will evilly destroy. They're bad men who he will badly destroy. They know that these tenants deserve Revelation 14, 10, and 11. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, and the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. That's what they deserve. That's what people who reject God deserve and will get. And they know the vineyard should be given to other tenants who will give the owner his fruits. They say, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. They know the Master should and will give the vineyard to people who will treat it properly, who will submit to his authority, who will bear fruit. They know the truth of John 15, 1 and 2 where Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. They know God is not going to put up for this forever. God will judge. God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure. But you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. Point number three, Jesus agrees with and affirms the Jewish leaders cry for justice. Jesus agrees with them. Look at verses 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Beloved, notice Jesus rebukes these leaders with the Bible. (laughs) He quotes Scripture. Jesus quotes the Bible. He quotes Psalm 118, 22-23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and capstone. Acts 4, 11-12 says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. He is the stone of stones and the son of sons. He's the only way to be saved. Only way. It won't be old Buddha. Standing at the gate. It won't be old Muhammad calling people home. If you want to get to heaven, you got to come through Jesus. There's a song called Old Buddha by the Imperials. You can look it up if you want. It goes into that in more detail. But Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except through me. He is the stone, He is the cornerstone, He is the capstone, He is the Son. And this parable shows us that Jesus would be rejected and crucified by these leaders, but He would rise from the dead to be the stone of stones, right? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's rejected, He dies, He bears the wrath of God, He's buried, but He rises again, He becomes the cornerstone. And He's the only one who can save you. Scholars, commentators, pastors uh, wrestle with whether this is saying He's the cornerstone or the capstone. And uh, as you saw, uh, Nathan, or was it David, Wednesday night, one of my favorite answers to theological disputes is both. Amen. Both. both. If, if you, the Bible's full of double entendre. That's a big word that means it's both. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the first and most important stone in the foundation of God's kingdom after which the whole kingdom is patterned, guided by, and built on. He is the preeminently important central stone. And He's the capstone. He's the highest, most important, preeminent stone that holds everything together. He's the stone of stones and the son of sons. And Jesus, notice this, beloved, Jesus is clearly claiming to be God's son in this parable. In the Aramaic, which Jesus spoke... The word for son is ben and the the word for stone is eben. There's a play on words there. He's the son and the stone. He's the son of God. He's God come in the flesh. And notice, beloved, God did this. This was the Lord's doing. God sent His Son. God crushed His Son. God raised His Son from the dead. Acts 4.27-28 The apostles prayed for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. God did this again because of His mercy heart. Because of His love for sinners and His love for His own glory. God did this and this is marvelous in our eyes beloved is this marvelous in your eyes what god has done for you in christ the mercy he has shown you over and over and over again in your life and in the bible in redemptive history god has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes 1 Peter 2, 6-7 through seven says this, For in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Is He precious to you? Is Jesus precious to you? Is He the most precious stone? Is He the most precious thing in all the world? Is there anything, anyone you would rather have than Jesus? This text says to the one who believes, this stone is precious. Beloved, is He precious to you? That's a great prayer to pray in 2024. Lord Jesus, I pray You would become more precious to me. More precious to me this year than You ever have been before. Peter goes on, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Beloved, God will give His kingdom to others who bear fruit. Jesus says in verse 43, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. They reject Jesus, so they lose the kingdom. You must trust and follow the king to receive the kingdom. And if you trust and follow the king, you will bear fruit. Righteous living and obedience to the will of God found in His Word. First John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And if you have the Son, He dwells in you. You're in union with Him. His Spirit dwells in you. The law of God is written on your heart. The Spirit will cause you to obey His commandments and bear fruit. Again, John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And so as Jesus is precious to us, as we trust Him, as we abide in Him and His Word and submit to Him, we bear fruit. And beloved God, we'll judge the wicked. Look at verse 44. And the one who falls on this stone, that's why some commentators believe it's a a, a cornerstone. You trip over it. It's at the bottom. will be broken to pieces. And then others believe it's a capstone up top because it's going to fall on you and crush you. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. It will crush him. Those who reject the Son are going to be broken to pieces those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be crushed. That, that's why, beloved as Christians, we have a burn to share the Gospel. Because everyone around us, made in God's image, if they don't come to the Son, they're going to be crushed. They're going to be vaporized, it, 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 crushed into pieces by the wrath of God forever. And they'll never die it will last forever and ever and ever. Jesus will do this. The stone will do this. Jesus will judge. Revelation 19, 11-16. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness He judges and makes war. <laughs> Jesus is coming back to make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on, a white, on the white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's And He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on His robe and on His thigh as a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Beloved, God's mercy and love are relentless and without measure. But you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. Have you done that? Have you repented and received His Son? That that judgment will not happen to you. And then notice, finally, the Jewish leaders see the truth and reject the truth. They see the truth and reject the truth. Look at verses 45 and 46. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that He was speaking about them. Oh, good! They're going to get it. They they realize this. It's about them and and they're going to repent and they're they're, they're not going to try to arrest Jesus and kill Him. They're not going to fulfill what He just told them. Right? No. No, they, 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 they perceived He was speaking about them. But look at verse 46. And although they were seeking to arrest Him, they feared the crowds because they held Him to be a prophet. Beloved, notice the terror and tragedy of total deception and truth suppression. Notice the terror and tragedy of total deception and truth suppression. May this move us to pray, Lord, Lord I pray for myself and us as a congregation that wherever we're deceived, about anything of what you require or want of us, Lord, open our eyes. Lord, wherever we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, Lord, take away the suppression. Do whatever you have to do in our lives to get our attention. Do whatever you have to do in our lives to get our attention, to get my attention, to get our church's attention, to get our attention and wake us up to truth and reality of what you want for us. Beloved, this ought to move you to pray like that. These religious leaders knew Jesus was talking about them. But they went on to do exactly what Jesus warned them that they would do. They were seeking to arrest Him. I mean, He's talking about us. He's he's claiming to be... The Son of God, making Himself equal with God. He must die. That's blasphemy. That's how they think. That's how we've seen them think in other places in the Gospels. Jesus told them they're going to do this. He warns them. Listen, I'm the stone. I'm the cornerstone. I'm everything. Jesus says, but they don't get it. They're blind. They're totally deceived and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Beloved, do not be deceived. That's a refrain throughout the New Testament. To believers, to believers, do not be deceived, beloved. And Jesus, we see here, is a prophet and more than a prophet. These religious leaders didn't do what they wanted to do because they feared the people. The crowds of people held Jesus to be a prophet, and He is a prophet. He is a prophet. He's our prophet, priest, and king. And He's more than a prophet. He is the Word of God. Come in the flesh. He's God. Come in the flesh. John 1, 1 through 1-4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He is a prophet, but He's more than a prophet. And we're called to submit, to see, believe, receive, trust, and follow Him and not reject Him like these Jewish leaders. Two brief summaries of this parable I found helpful. One by Kevin DeYoung and another by Craig Blumberg. Kevin DeYoung asks four questions. Number one, do you have a long history of ignoring God? These are more application. I think as Anthony would put it, these are the uses. I'm going to ask you. I want you to think about this, beloved. Do you have a long history of ignoring God? We see that in this parable, don't we? They ignore God over and over and over again. God sends prophets. He sends people to tell them the Word of God. He sends people to call them to repent. Some people come to church over and over and over again. Like, again, Anthony was talking about in the Sunday school class. They, they go through all the outward actions... Go to church, read their Bible, pray, give money. Maybe even give great sacrificially. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Give away their body to be burned. They die as martyrs. They give away all they own to the poor, yet have not love and gain nothing. And so you come here week after week and you hear the prophets speak. You hear the Word of God. And yet you ignore it. And you just keep living with your boyfriend. You just keep doing the same old things that you know God forbids. You keep doing this and that and that. Do you have a history of ignoring God? You grew up in church. That's how I was for the first 18 years of my life. Grew up in church. Went to church. Thought it was good. It was a good little Pharisee. But I didn't know God. Are you ignoring conviction of sin? The Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, but you just ignore it. Like the tenants. Are you running from God like Jonah? God's called you to do something. And you ignore Him. And you're running from God. Sometimes I pray, God, swallow me with a big fish to confine me to do everything You want me to do. Do whatever you have to do like you did with Jonah to, 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 to confine me to Your perfect good and pleasing will. You can do it, God. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change my ways. Change whatever you want to change and I will be everything you want me to be and do everything you want me to do. Do you have secret sins that you don't tell anybody about but you know them and God knows them that you need to talk to somebody about? Are you a fake Christian going through the motions but don't know God? If you are, God wants you. (laughs) He loves you. He 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 stands here today with open arms saying come to me. Jesus says come to me all you labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of t- take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Like Jesus is here saying come today. Don't be like these Pharisees and religious leaders and continue to reject God. Come to him today. Bow to him today. Trust in Him today. He will save you. He will help you. He will deliver you. Number two, DeYoung asked, do you act like God's gifts really belong to you and not to Him? Do you act like God's gifts really belong to you and not to Him? Beloved, do you realize that everything you have is a gift from God? Your life, your hands, your feet your abilities, your gifts, your talents, your time, your money, everything belongs to God. He just doesn't own 10%. Everything is His. Everything. Everything belongs to God. And we don't want to be like these tenants and religious leaders and think this is ours and do anything we can to preserve it for ourselves even kill and reject God. No, we're, we're, we're to hold everything with an open hand, as one has said, so that when God takes it, it doesn't hurt. God owns everything. Everything He has given to us, we are tenants of that. We are stewards. We're to use the gifts He's given us to bear fruit for God. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. That's true. Beloved, it all belongs to Him. Let's use it for His glory. Number three, Kevin asks Do you figure you can do whatever you want because God won't notice or God won't care? Do you figure you can do whatever you want because God won't notice or God won't care? Beloved, a mark of a believer is we do everything Coram Deo. There's a children's song I love. Coram Deo, wherever we go, we live before the face of God. Ted didn't like that. Coram Deo, Coram Deo, before the face of God. We do everything before the face of God. We know God sees everything. God knows everything and He notices and He cares. And that's a, that's a, that should be a comfort to believers. God notices everything in your life. All your pains, all your losses, every tear he, 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 he captures in a bottle. He knows you inside and out and He cares about every detail of your life. And for those who are running from God, it should be concerning. Because God knows how you're living. He knows what you look at on the internet. He knows your history even though you delete it. And we'll all stand before Him someday to give an account. And we want to live like, like Anthony's been encouraging us to in the Sunday school class. We want to live in total obedience to God in every area of life according to His Word. And number four, Kevin asks, do you really think you can get rid of Jesus? Do you really think, like these tenets, like these uh, religious leaders, you can get rid of Jesus? You can't. Praise God, we can't. Praise God we can't get rid of Jesus. Praise God He's like the hound of heaven chasing us down like the everlasting mercy fountain to give us more grace, more love, more mercy where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You can't get rid of Jesus. You can't get rid of Him for mercy if you're His child and you can't get rid of Him from judgment if you reject Him. Craig Blumberg summarizes this parable with three points, God is patient with His people to bear the fruit He expects them to bear even in the face of their hatred and rebellion against Him. Number two, God's patience doesn't last forever. He will judge those who reject Him. And number three, God's purposes will not be stopped, but He will accomplish all of His holy will. Beloved, God's mercy and love are relentless and without measure, but you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. And finally, beloved, hear this. God's mercy is Jesus. God's mercy is Jesus. Jesus is the most fruitful vineyard that has ever existed in the history of this world. Jesus is the most fruitful and faithful tenant that anyone could ever dream of placing in charge of the vineyard. He's the most fruitful vineyard and the most faithful tenant and the most perfect son and the most beautiful stone all at the same time. Beloved, did you know that a name of God in the Old Testament is the stone of Israel? That's right. In Genesis 49-24, where the Word of God is speaking of Joseph, his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And here we see the stone is Jesus. Jesus is God. And we thought of many great rejections at the beginning of this sermon. The rejection of Adam and Eve to God. Israel's rejection of God. The rejection of the Son we see in this very passage. But that's not the greatest rejection. The greatest rejection in the history of the universe is a rejection that happened on a hill called Calvary. Where that Son, that beloved Son, that perfect and beautiful stone received the greatest rejection by His Father on the cross where His Father crushed the Son, where the Father crushed the stone, that we might never be rejected, that we might never be crushed, that we might never be obliterated. And He rose up from the dead confirming that all that is true. Jesus is the beloved stone and Son whom wicked men would kill and shun, but through His death His work is done. Now He's alive. Second to none. God planted his vineyard and expected fruit. Israel, his beloved tender shoot. But sadly, her leaders had no root. Glory and money was their pursuit. Their sin and rebellion was acute. They killed the prophets, truth dilute. His vineyard pure, they did pollute and took the wicked, murderous root. So when Christ came, him they'd refute and cut him down, his voice mute. But he's the Christ. He won't be mute. He ended death and killed its root, for He's Messiah, God's true shoot. The Israelite who'd bear much fruit to save His bride was His pursuit, and all her wickedness refute. So trust Him now, He will recruit and put you on a God pursuit. God's patience runs with sinners long in spite of all that they've done wrong. He cries, please turn and come along. Follow me where you belong. I don't delight in judgment strong. That's why I sent my son along. God made him who knew no wrong to be the wrong and suffer long so he could save, make us belong. So trust the Savior who is strong. His mercy heart is your new song. If the Christ you do reject against God's wrath, he won't protect. And only curse you can expect. For Christ alone can wrath deflect since on that cross he hung erect. And took God's wrath himself direct. He alone can save the wrecked, since he died, since he die and then resurrect, and all our blessings there collect. Against all foes he will protect. So trust him now, and you're elect. His glory then you will reflect, and from your sins he will perfect. Of joy he'll be your great object. Christ above all is the most precious stone. No diamond compares with the glory he's shown breathtaking beauty that leaves your mind blown. He's the greatest reality to ever be known. All your enemies he'll master and own since he gave his life for your sin to atone. Rejected by men and God all alone in the dark on that tree he died with a groan, then conquered the grave and death's overthrown. He's alive, not dead from the tomb he's flown. Now he rules over all upon his throne. Come to him now, no longer postpone. Believe in the Savior and bow to his, this stone. His word in your heart will ever be sown. He'll give you a love, a love unknown. Your joy shall rise in Christ alone and you He'll hold tight and never disown. Christ Jesus is the sun and stone of the corner best that's known. Marvelous in our eyes shown. So beautiful that minds are blown. God's done this. We are His own. By Christ's rejection died alone. Spit on, beaten to the bone, bore God's wrath for sins atone, died and rose to victory Own, Now with all power on his throne, he rules o'er all the cornerstone, shows mercy to all those he's known, who trust in him by faith alone, but crushes sinners down their throne, who reject his rule and groan. So trust the Son, he won't disown all those by grace to him have flown. Father, we pray that we would trust the Son and to You fly for mercy. Lord, we ask that You would be at work in our hearts, that we would uh, know if there are ways we're ignoring You, if there are ways that we're presuming upon Your grace and mercy, if there are ways we're living as if You don't exist, as if You won't judge, as if You won't come back. Lord, show us. Show us ways in which... That old Pharisee and Sadducee still lives in us. Help us put him to death and live for Christ. Lord, keep us from rejecting You in any way. Help us to invite You into every part of our lives and submit to You. Lord, we thank You for Your mercy. God, we thank You for the picture of Your mercy in this parable that that You show lavish, relentless, measureless mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us receive Him in all ways we should receive Him and live for Him and follow Him and bear fruit for You. God, we pray for anyone here today who may may have never received the Son by faith alone. We ask, oh God, today, people would do business with You and be saved. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake, who is our everything, who is our all. Lord, all we have is Christ. May we live it, may we sing it, may we believe it. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen.